0: To tell you if it's uh, quality, if it's what you what you can uh, what you can eat. There's also um, a desire that we all have for buying things that are genuine, not fake. If you want to get a Rolex or Oakley sunglasses or a certain designer purse. Uh, there, I'm sure, you can go on eBay and find knockoffs for much cheaper than what you think. Oh, this, I wonder if this is genuine. <laughs> and you usually look at someone's feedback rating to see if they are a legitimate seller and they're honest uh, before you go and purchase something that uh, is not, not quality. Well, genuine quality transparency is the theme of 2nd Corinthians 6 and the whole book is about ministry and you'll see the word ministry here a couple times in our in our text of 1 to 13 of chapter 6 but why do we need this passage of scripture here God made us in his image and as image bearers we love genuine things and we hate things that aren't genuine we saw last Wednesday in our Bible study about hypocrisy. And anything that is hypocrisy is something that is not genuine. We, we do not like hypocrites. And you may have talked to people, and I've talked to people, that say, I'm not going to church because it's full of hypocrites. Okay, right, so why are we here? Because we're not trying to hide our hypocrisy. We know we're hypocrites, and we need to be here. That's why we're here. Church is full of, because there's only people who know they're hypocrites, and there are people that don't know they're hypocrites, the two types of people in the world. And uh, we know we're hypocrites. We know we struggle with genuineness, and that's why we're here as God's people, to learn truth and to grow in our genuine uh, service for the Lord. So we'll see here in verse 1 why I chose this title, God's Grace Produces Genuine Ministry" is because it's taken from the text of verse 1. Working together with Him, that's God the Father, Then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So God's going to work through us to minister, as we have seen the last couple uh, sermons from 2 Corinthians uh, 6 or 5, is that we are to be ambassadors for Christ. We have this ministry of reconciliation. And when we're genuinely caring about people's soul and God's using us, God's grace is flowing through these bodies, uh, having saved us to the world who is in desperate need of God's grace. And when that is happening on a regular basis, we are just conduits of God's grace. And when people look at our lives, they should see genuine people. Genuine people that you what you see is what you get. They're not somebody different at church than they are at home. They're not somebody different at church than they are at work. They're not somebody different with uh, certain people and different with their spouse or their children. They're genuine. What you see is what you get. And how do we uh, minister this way is we constantly get God's grace. We're studying Wednesday night. How do we get God's grace? Well, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble you want God's grace and you want to be a genuine person, genuinely used of God to minister to other people, you're going to have to have our responsibility to be humble and God's responsibility to give his power and his grace to go flow to us and through us to those who everyone in the world needs God's grace. So, where are we? Why do we need this passage of Scripture? Because as image bearers of a perfectly genuine, the perfectly genuine God, we need to learn to minister for our genuine God. And when He is working through us, and He is changing us, as we saw in 2 Corinthians 3, that as we behold His glory, He's changing us from glory to glory, so that we look more and more like Him, and less and less like when we were first rescued from our sin. And when we look more and more like Jesus, Jesus can use us to reflect his glory so that the world, when the world sees us, they see less hypocrisy. They see less selfishness. They see less of us and more of him. And when they see more of him, we're magnifying the character. God, of This is exactly what God's plan is for all of us. When he rescues us to change us, so that he can use us to show the world what they need most. And what does the world need most? They need to see God. They need to know him. They need to know his, his grace and love and mercy. So Paul is teaching the Corinthians here to uh, understand what their ministry is as ambassadors, what his goal is in teaching them and living life before them and we'll see a very personal uh, appeals at the end of our passage verses 11 to 13 but before we get there uh, he is going to tell us about um, genuine ministry and it requires god's grace so let's look at verse one working together this is an ongoing process with him what are we doing in working well john just mentioned it in our scripture reading We are ambassadors and helping the world to see that he who knew no sin became sin for them so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. And as ministers, as ambassadors for God, we are working together with God. Now, when someone at a workday can maybe carry... I'm thinking of very small children yesterday, and they can carry 10 pounds of a log. And there's a 30-pound log that needs to be picked up and moved, and you can see a stack of logs over next to the parsonage uh, um, garage. Some of those logs are heavier than 10 pounds probably. So someone who wanted to carry a 30-pound log but it could only physically handle 10, you know what they needed? they needed help. And they may have carried part of that 30-pound log, but they didn't carry the majority of it. And they put the log down with the help of an adult and said, "Wow, I'm pretty strong. I handled that log." Well, when it comes to us working together with God, it's not even close to 10 and 20 pounds to equal 30. It's not even close. It's maybe a milligram. And then 29.9999 pounds when it comes to what God's doing. And yet, He wants us to work together with Him. Why does He even need us? Like you think of a sovereign God who's at angels at His disposal that are beyond number. Why does He even want to use us? Well, because the Bible says He does. And when everyone who showed up yesterday for work day and all those who came before, You know what? As people, we want to be useful. God made us in his image so that when we show up, we don't expect to just eat donuts and drink the coffee. Now, I had donuts and coffee yesterday and it was good. But if that was my whole purpose in coming here to get a free (laughs) free free donuts and coffee, I'm at the wrong place. Right. Because it wasn't a drink coffee and fellowship around the donut food table. Now, we had a little bit of that, but that wasn't why we were here yesterday. We were here to get projects done. And it required ministers, servants, to get that project done. Well, God has a ministry for those of us who have been rescued by His grace. He he appeals, Paul appealing to us, years later, like he appealed to the Corinthians, not to receive the grace of God in vain. And when we have access to God's grace, it is meant to change us. It's meant to save us, and it's also meant to, to change us by God's power for his glory. Verse 2, for he says, God says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. And You may read that and scratch your head and say, what is that? What is he talking about? He's quoting isaiah 49 8 where i put it on your screen here so we didn't have to look back at isaiah 49 but isaiah 42 and 49 in particular talk about a servant uh who is sometimes called israel the obedient israel and where disobedient israel the historical israel of the old testament failed god that there was going to come a servant of god who was going to obey him and do exactly what god wanted him to do and that was the messiah and so, th- four chapters after Isaiah 49, we, we clearly get Messianic language with Isaiah 53. That he was going to come and suffer on a, um, and die in our place. And he would be wounded for our transgression and bruised for our iniquity. But the promise of the Messiah is mentioned in Isaiah 42, 49. Uh, when Paul and Barnabas are ministering, they quote Isaiah 42, and say they're doing the work that the Messiah started. And here again, as Paul is encouraging the Corinthians, he's saying the work that the Messiah started, he was promised as the Messiah to come as the obedient servant of God. God's grace enables us to continue Christ's promise ministry that was promised 700 years before Jesus came in Isaiah 49, verse 8. And this Messiah, Jesus, when he came, he says, the kingdom of heaven is in the midst of you. And other times he said the kingdom of heaven is near. What was Jesus saying in Luke 17, 20 and 21 when he told the Pharisees, the kingdom of heaven is in the midst of you. Well, when you think of a kingdom, you're expecting what? At the center of a kingdom. The king. And when the king is on earth, Jesus tells the people who rejected the king, the king is here. He's in the midst of you. And a few that were around Jesus that heard his teaching and saw his miracles, they trusted Jesus as the king. Because when when asked, "Who, who do people say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the king, the son of the living God. But did the Pharisees as a whole accept Jesus as king? Oh, no. And we just talked in Sunday school with the parenting class about, did Pilate accept Jesus as king? No. The Jews said, no, we have no king but Caesar, although they didn't really want Caesar as king either. They definitely didn't want Jesus as their king. Did the Romans want a Jewish king? No, they mocked the Jewish king with a sign, here is the king of the Jews, and this is what we do do that. King of the Jews, and we put him on a cross. But Jesus is the King. And throughout this passage, as I said last week, he is called Christ. He is the King. And we're ambassadors for the King of Kings. Now, that's one thing for the Apostle Paul. And I was thinking about this as I preached through Acts years ago that Barnabas was included in the work of the Apostles and Barnabas just not an apostle just an ordinary Christian an encourager and now when he says to the Corinthians I appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain for he says in a favorable time I listen to you and in a day of salvation I have helped you the Messiah is going to help those who are going to follow follow Christ in Isaiah 49 And now Paul's going to connect that Old Testament prophecy of the promise of Messiah's ministry with what Paul is doing and what he's expecting the Corinthians to join him in doing, working together with God. Look at the end of verse 2. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And what Paul is doing is taking this Old Testament verse and bringing it to the the front of what the Corinthians uh, can read and say, we are part of Christ's ministry? And the answer is yes. See, Christ, when he was on earth, only stayed three and a half years as ministering publicly. You think he could have done a lot more if he stayed six, eight. He starts at 30. If he lived to be 90, 60 years. Why didn't he minister 60 years? Because it wasn't his plan. His plan was to minister three and a half years to teach us, to model for us, and then to go back to heaven and send the Holy Spirit, who not in body form, but in a spirit form. And that spirit that we'll see even mentioned here in our passage is going to indwell and empower all of Christ's believers, followers, on the face of the earth. So now Christ is not in a body form in one place in Israel or Judea or Samaria, wherever he traveled to Tyre and Sidon, uh, briefly, he is in the Spirit inside of you and me, and inside of believers in Canada, and South America, and South Africa, and Southeast Asia, and Siberia, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's where the Holy Spirit is. That's where the Spirit of Christ is. And he wants us to work together for him. And we are encouraged to follow in our Savior's footsteps. And encourage the people around us with this. Now is the time where God's favor is, going, is offered to you. Now is the day of your salvation. And it builds on what we have seen at the end of chapter 5, which be reconciled to God on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. You are far from God. You don't realize you're far from God until you start comparing your life to the Ten Commandments. Until you compare your life with Matthew 5, if you, if you lust, it's the same thing as committing adultery. If you're angry, it's the same thing as murder. What? And coveting is wrong, too? Taking God's name in vain? Having other gods before God? Yes, all of that puts you very, very far from God, and you need to be reconciled to God. And God wants to use us as his people today, like he used the Corinthians, to work together with him. And to encourage others around us to work together with God. Verse three, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Again, this is a ministry book of how to minister, how to think about ministry, how to talk in ministry, how to live a life that is ministering for God. So, Paul's goal is to not put an obstacle in anyone's way. So that no f- fault may be found, like a lack of character, opposite of what he's going to teach us here. Uh, no obstacles in anyone's way. So that no one would trip over us in order to be reconciled to God. Okay, so that's verses 1 through 3. That we are continuing Christ's ministry. Was Christ perfectly genuine in his ministry? Oh, perfect. Like If you want to know what God is like and someone made in the image of God, showing the world what God is like, Christ is our example. But we are all being changed, 2 Corinthians 3.18, to be more and more like our Savior so that he can use us to work together for him to reconcile the world to God. And he wants us to continue what Christ started and what the apostles continued and what those in, from the apostles till now were continuing. And now it's our time on earth to live. And what are we here for? We're here for ambassadors for Christ. That's why we're here. The world will be reconciled to God through our ministry. And we're speaking primarily in ministry. But Paul's going to go and say, okay, I'm not going to put any obstacles so that no fault may be found with our ministry. He's going to teach us then in verses 4 to 10, the major part of this section is going to be put a, a magnifying glass on Paul and those ministering with him. And this is what you'll see. If you can look down and, and look at a transparent Christian minister, a servant of God, verse 4 calls Paul, as servants of God. This isn't the word slave. This is the word we get our word deacon from, minister. And so just serving uh, people, ministering to people, it matches the, the word, their ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Now, this is the fifth time third time in the corinthian books that paul is able by the holy spirit to put himself and those with him as examples of what to do in ministry now if i said hey i want you guys to be like me you'd be like well that's kind of proud (laughs) and it would be but if we're if i'm following christ as first corinthians 11 says paul says follow me as i follow christ and if you could look at Paul and Silas and Barnabas and others that travel with Paul that the Corinthians would know, and they, you looked at how they minister, they'd say, there's not really any fault that we can find. In the Old Testament, you're going through the book of 2 Samuel, and Samuel said, if there's any fault with my life and ministry, why you don't want to follow me, bring it out. Like Bring out the evidence of why you don't want to follow me. And there wasn't any evidence that the Israelites had of why they shouldn't have followed Samuel and said they wanted a king. Same with Daniel. There was no fault in Daniel of why he uh, could. they were trying to figure out how to get rid of him and throw him in a lion's den, and there was no fault except for how he uh, worshipped God. When it came to Joseph, there was nothing, nothing uh, in Joseph's life and ministry that Potiphar could say, this guy is not trustworthy, and so Potiphar's wife had to lie about Joseph to get him out of that position. So it is with us. There shouldn't be anything, that any laws around us that we are knowingly breaking, uh, getting around. And, um, and when it comes to ambassadors, they're, trying to, they're living in another country trying to obey those laws representing the country that sent them, as we saw last week. But here Paul says, You're, we are servants of God. We commend ourselves in every way. So he says, okay, look, look at our life, look at our ministry, ask us really any question you want get to know us you have gotten to know us he spent a year and a half with them not just there a week or two uh help them get started as a church he's written them at least three letters he has been very transparent with them he has confronted them he's encouraged them he's rebuked them all this that has happened in his his books up to this point and now he says we're going to have uh groups of nine here for some reason i don't know why but there are groups of nine uh, three, three lists of nine uh, nine ideas, and we'll try to uh, un- understand why, uh, what are the categories for these nine things. Three groups of nine. Verse four, but in every way, commending ourselves in every way, by great endurance, and that uh, begins, that's not the, the first of the nine, starts in in, and then we have a list, in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities, in beatings, in imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Okay, we'll stop there. And I think the endurance is what he is saying. Genuine ministry requires endurance. The Christian life is not a 100-yard dash, a 200-yard dash, or one lap around the track, a 400, um, 440-yard dash. It's not that. What is the Christian life? We all know it's an endurance. It's day in, day out. We're ambassadors for Christ day in and day out. We're beholding his glory day in and day out. What does chapter four teach us in 2 Corinthians? That this light momentary affliction is but for a moment. It works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Affliction. Is affliction once and we're done? Or is affliction ongoing? And as we get older, you know what happens with these bodies? They start wearing out. And we have affliction almost constantly with these bodies. So what's the, what's the solution? We get God's grace to keep going. Why? Because we're ambassadors. We're not representing ourselves. We're representing him, the king. So we're continuing Christ's ministry, and Christ teaches us elsewhere about how to endure. But here, Paul, as a human just like us, and those who are with him, you notice the servants of God, our ministry, he's talking about in the plural, representing the group that is with him, ministering to the Corinthians, writing, uh, on their behalf, uh, and obviously Paul's behalf, and he says, As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. This is what we had to endure. And these nine things, afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. And if you say, Paul, I don't believe you are beaten. All he would have to do is probably like, hey, you want to see this? Pull down his shirt a little bit or pull up his shirt. Hey, look, I got scars. to to get stoned on that first missionary journey, he had to have scars on his face. Obvious, obvious that he had gone through some pretty serious things. Why? Because he was an ambassador for Christ. Nothing was going to stop Paul from his mission because he was commissioned by the king in a hostile land, in hostile lands in the Roman Empire. And Jews followed him and tried to discount his ministry and tried to get people to stone him and and beat him, and and throw him in prison, and treat him like an awful criminal. And Paul knows what it's like to endure. And what do we need when it comes to endurance? We need God's grace. And we'll be tempted with endurance, as James 1 teaches us in various trials, that we need God's wisdom. If any of us lack wisdom, what do we do? We ask of, of God, and he gives it to us, liberally. And doesn't say, oh, you asked for wisdom before... He doesn't upbraid us or he doesn't rebuke us and say, nope, you asked for that wisdom before, you don't get it again. Every time we are representing God to the world and we don't know what to say, we don't know how to say it, we don't know how to build bridges, God, give me grace, give me wisdom. And sometimes that includes hardship. We'll see later misunderstandings. But for here, it's all different types of, of afflictions all the different words pretty much in the greek language that can refer to this and it's in our english language too these all are are very similar hard things to go through and yet paul with god's grace and encouraging the corinthians who are probably in a very hostile city trying to be ambassadors they have to have endurance as well but they're servants of god and servants of god endure by god's grace now the next group of nine are character qualities that, that appear, if you compare these to the fruit of the Spirit or, or the idea of uh, being controlled or the love uh, that is uh, mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, they are character qualities. Or if you look at this compared to 1 Timothy 3, uh, what's required of deacons and elders in a church, uh, these lists are, are pretty similar. And so Paul's going to say, okay, so that's externally, External endurance is required. Now, if you, and we have scars to prove it, that we've gone through these things as, as ministers, as ambassadors. But the next thing is, the next category are allies, character qualities. And I don't just say character qualities because the Holy Spirit is in the middle. And this has thrown uh, commentaries that I read for a loop. Why isn't the Holy Spirit mentioned at the beginning or the end? I don't know. But it's exactly in the middle. So I I try to compare, is it like a mountain that you're climbing uh, on either side and you get to the Holy Spirit? Possibly. Um, But what I I can uh, discern here, what we can discern is probably purity, knowledge, patience, and kindness might be a little more internal character. And the Holy Spirit helps us internally to show... God's purity, God's knowledge, God's patience, God's kindness to the world especially as ambassadors. We're we're trying to show people with God's grace coming through us and the Holy Spirit magnifying that grace and how we live and avo- helping us to avoid things that are not pure and ignorance and impatience and harshness instead of kindness. You can see how the opposite could be true if the Holy Spirit's not in control of our lives. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us to change us from the inside and then on the outside what we can see what other people can see in our in our uh, ministry is genuine love truthful speech the power of god and the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left now this is written this passage written before ephesians so we have a mention of the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty they are the, the whole armor of God, and he mentions kind of the armor of God here, but he doesn't go into detail, but Ephesians is written later. is going to tell us what each uh, armor uh, piece is for and how to, how to use it, but here he just mentions uh, all these allies for us. Character is part of it, um, and the Holy Spirit governing uh, our internal and external lives so that when people look at us, they see a pure life, a knowledge of God life. A reflecting God's patience and kindness life. A life that shows people what genuine love looks like. And it's going to look like 1 Corinthians 13, which he's written in the first book that he wrote to the Corinthians. And then he's going to speaking truth. And the power of God. And power of God is very similar to the grace of God. God's grace is his powerful gift. And here, the power of God. And then the weapons, and it's a military term, the weapons of righteousness, doing the right thing according to God's holy standard. Not just for one part of your life, but for the right hand and for the left so that you are fully equipped in ministry. And this is, goes back to verse 1, working together with Him. God gives us what we need. He changes us on the inside to be internally like our Savior. Externally reflecting our Savior and the Holy Spirit is there inside of us and showing the world what our God is like. Using these once enemies of God bodies now reconciled to him and used using us to continue Christ's ministry. And our final group of nine is uh, the last uh, last phrases. These are Misconceptions. And we have, if, if I were to tell you, hey, I want you, uh, this is just human to human, I want you to go to an unreached people group in South America, jungles of Brazil or Ecuador, or somewhere very, very remote. Wi-Fi is not an option. Cell phones don't work. And you got to learn how to kill your own chickens and, and uh, cook them if you're going to survive. Okay, and I want you to go there. We'll help. We'll, we'll, we'll support you. How many of you would say, yeah, that's me. Sign me up. Please. Here's my phone. Here's my laptop. And give me some materials like discipleship, evangelism and discipleship materials. And I'm going there. I'll live there. Uh, I don't know. Get up my car, my house. To go live as a missionary. And we, we can look down on missionaries and think, if, if I submit to, to Christ and the grace of God is flowing through me, I'm going to have to live a miserably, a miserable life with a house filled with tarantulas and large snakes. Really? And so you think God's going to do that? God's not in the mafia. He doesn't have it out for you. Paul did have to endure some pretty serious things, as we have seen, the first list of nine. But God used those first list of nine to develop a Christ like character in Paul that he said, I want you guys, <laughs> you guys can look at my life, and I'm not trying to put any obstacle in anybody's way. So those hard things that I have gone through and other people have helped, have gone through with me, they have helped us to develop with the Holy Spirit's help christ-like character and now as i travel around i am misunderstood and in a culture that is more and more hostile to god and our savior we can expect the world to look at what we're doing as a church as ambassadors for christ and they this last list is what our lives and our ministries will be misunderstood to be okay So if we're ministering as ambassadors, the world's going to look at us and they're going to they're going to say this about us. Okay, let's look at uh, the end of after we got the righteousness from the right hand and the left. So verse eight. Through honor and dishonor. Through slander and praise. Now, there are some times that the world's going to honor us because we're hard workers or we're kind or we're good neighbors. Or we're honest, whatever it is, and they would honor us. But at times, whenever we share the gospel as ambassadors, they're going to dishonor us and say, what? You still believe marriage is between a man and a woman? And you shouldn't live together before you're married? And we say, yes. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't change. Oh, that's antiquated. That's old-fashioned, or whatever else they say. Okay, well, that's the kind of what we get here with this list. God's word is timeless. And we have here, through honor and dishonor, and through slander, and at times we're slandered and at times we're praised. It, it, those are s- s- similar uh, synonym phrases there. Those are the first two of the, of the nine. And now he goes into more detail. We are treated as imposters and yet are true. people think at times that, and people thought Daniel wasn't for the Persian Empire, because he wasn't going to bow down to, or wasn't going to pray. And then Nebuchadnezzar thought Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't faithful to him, because they didn't bow down to the image, and they were treated as imposters. But they were loyal to God and to their king as best they could, but they they had to disobey their king. And the In the book of Acts, Peter is told not to preach and says, "Why we have to obey God rather than men. And so Jewish authorities and Roman authorities thought these new Christians were imposters, and yet they are true. Jewish people followed Paul around from city to city, and they said, Paul is an imposter. He is not a truly Jewish person, even though he's part of the Pharisees. And yet Paul is telling people, the Messiah of the Old Testament has come in the flesh. His name is Jesus, and you better submit to him. And the Jewish people were really the impostors, and they claimed that Paul and Silas, Barnabas, Timothy, Luke were the impostors. And we can expect, as ambassadors for Christ, we can expect to be treated as impostors, and yet, for holding fast to the word of God, we can be true. Verse 9, as unknown, very few followers we may have on Twitter or YouTube, and I'm not even on TikTok yet, as unknown and yet well-known, unknown by whom? The world, but known by whom? The God of the universe. Which would you rather have? Wow, when you put it that way, yeah, in ministry. Ministry does this for us. Verse 9 continues, as dying, and Paul had scars that probably, and bruises and beatings that probably shortened his life expectancy. And behold, he says, we live. He would say, I am more alive now after these scars than before them. With a twinkle in his eye and a smile on his face, recruiting young Timothy to come with him on a missionary journey. We live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful. And Paul wept over people's souls, writing sorrowful letters he has already written to the Corinthians over their sin, over their. Justifying of allowing this guy to be in their church who should have been kicked out in church discipline. Yet, he says, I'm always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. See, there is a physical aspect of life that we can get so caught up in that we neglect the spiritual or the spiritual is so distant and so not valuable to us. And the world only has a physical life that they are eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Get as much money, get as much wealth as you can, get as many friends around, get as many followers to, to like you as possible. And yet Christian ministry is often like, scoffed at it at, by the world and you guys are doing all this, and if you go off into some remote part of the world to tell uh, people about Christ, you're never going to be wealthy. Yeah, it's fine. I've already counted the cost. I'm not living for wealth in this world. What? Who (laughs) thinks like that? Ambassadors for Christ think like that. People who are have the grace of God flowing through them, and they're working together with God. They think like that. And yet the world misunderstands Christian ministry and and ministers, and we're okay with that because we're not serving them. We're servants of God, back in verse 4. So as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, spiritually rich, eternally rich, Treasure in heaven, rich. And uh, the final phrase here of the nine, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Nothing of what the world says is valuable, but everything of what God says is valuable, like laying up treasure in heaven where neither moth or rust doth corrupt and where thieves don't break through and steal. And that's what we're about here as what Paul was about, continuing Christ's ministry, what he encourages the Corinthians to carry on as he is not there all the time, and what he's encouraging us 2,000 years later to continue Christ's ministry. And don't worry about what the world says. Don't worry about what people misunderstand you misperceptions. We just get God's grace and we just keep going because we really do possess everything of value. Now verses 11 to 13. We have spoken freely to you, openly to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. So their voice and they're they're very transparent with the Corinthians. Our heart is wide open, like affectionately transparent. And if you're going to build a relationship with someone and they keep, no, just, we'll go out to coffee and we'll talk about the Red Sox or... We'll talk about sports, but we're not talking about my life, my relationships. You're getting a little too close. So you stay away. Okay, when someone is like that, that's kind of what the Corinthians were doing to Paul. Paul says, you turn up the magnifying glass on our life and our ministry, and this hopefully is what you'll see. But we want, you, we want to get close to you, Corinthians. And if you keep holding us away... It's not from our, it's not our choice. It's your choice. So in verse 11, he says, we've spoken to you freely. Corinthians, our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us. Like we're not holding you guys away, but you are restricted in your own affections. You don't want a relationship or a very close relationship with us. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. If we're trying to minister to children and they say, and we say, hey, what's wrong? And they're crying. What's wrong? And they say, nothing. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Okay. Usually when you're okay and you're fine, you're not crying. And you don't go in your room and slam the door. Something is wrong. And so a wise parent, a wise uh, youth worker, a a wise friend will keep probing and, and getting closer to this person and say, You know what? You know I'm asking this because I love you. I want you to open up to me. I want you to tell me who said what at school, or why? Why is it that you're getting picked on or bullied or whatever, and and you try to get someone by your affection to open up to you? I've catch up with my notes. So, ministry wants God's glory, and it's going to go through all different types of things and God's glory is changing them from the inside out, and they're uh, misperceived by the world, and it's okay, misunderstood by the world, it's fine, we just want God's glory. That's verses 4 to 10. Now, verses 11 to 13 is, there is an inviting of affectionate discipleship. In order to disciple someone, and as Paul wants the Corinthians to walk with Christ and be ambassadors for Christ and see God's glory and be changed by that glory, all that we have seen up to this point in 2 Corinthians he says, I, we want a close, affectionate relationship with you. Now, you can't have a close, affectionate relationship with everybody. It's impossible. We have to prioritize. But in a church our size, there should be one or two people in your life that you are, your heart is wide open to them, probably of the same gender. And by gender, I mean male and female. Someone who knows what it's like to be a man and to endure male temptations. Someone who, if you're a female, who is female and and knows what it's like to have female temptations. And if you come to church and worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ on a week-in, week-out basis and praying with them, and talking just surfacey with them for months, and then it goes into years, and years go into decades. And no one here is an affectionate disciple discipling you, or vice versa. We don't want that as a church. Paul didn't want that for the Corinthians either. And what's the problem? Is that there is a guardedness that we have. That we don't want people to get too close to us because if they, we, we don't invite them like Paul does. Hey, look at my life and see if you see purity and, and truthfulness and patience and, and, and the Holy Spirit working in my life. And see if you see all these things in me and you're, you see endurance in me and you see that I, I'm okay with being misunderstood. I'm just going to keep going for Christ. And if you don't allow someone to get close to you and I don't allow someone to get close to me, what's the, what's the question? What, what are you trying to hide? And you can have friends around you that only tell you good things and how great you are and thumbs up everything that you put, post on social media. But those aren't godly friends unless they're willing to confront you if you are dabbling in sin. Unless you're showing the opposite of some of these character qualities in the middle of these things that Paul says, hey, you guys examine my life. I'm gonna commend myself. I don't wanna put any obstacle in front of anyone. So we exist as a church to worship God, yes, but to disciple People around us. And if you're coming to this church to hide as a Christian and just feel good about yourself, this is the wrong church for you. We're going to try to reach into your life and try to help you to grow to be more and more like Jesus. We're going to weep with you when you weep. We're going to comfort you when you need comfort. We're going to challenge you when you're in sin and you're justifying it. So that's what a godly, healthy church does. Because we're ministering for Christ and we don't care. That much about hurting your feelings, because if your life isn't glorifying God as it should, we're going to come alongside you and help you to glorify God. So this required affectionate discipleship that Paul says, hey, open your hearts to us. He says, widen your hearts in verse 13. Widen your hearts also. Now, you don't have to widen your heart to the mail guy or some rando person at Home Depot or Walmart. Okay? You don't have to share everything about your struggle but when you come to church, there ought to be, and you don't have to show it with everybody. It's like, man, this is a really needy person. I'm going to avoid them in the coffee line, right? But there should be one or two people here that when things are really hard for you spiritually, it's really hard to be an ambassador in a hostile place. But we're all ambassadors here if we know Christ. You talk to another ambassador and say, hey, how did you do it? I'm going to encourage you, if you don't have someone, talk to me. If you want to be that person for someone, talk to me. Talk to one of our elders. We are, I find myself as a pastor connecting people more and more often. People that are needy with people that have, want to help meet those needs. And it requires affectionate, heart-open discipleship to help people to work together with God and not receive the grace of God in vain. Affection with your spiritual leaders, trust us. If we haven't given you any reason to distrust us, I'm not, I don't know why you don't trust us. If we're like Christ, follow us as we follow Christ, as 1 Corinthians 11 says. But affection, trust, looks like trust and mutual serving God in ministry. The truth that we saw here is going to provoke us to pray. I've asked three men uh, to pray for us. Uh, First, Craig is going to come and thank God for grace that he gives us to minister. Then Hutch is going to come and and thank God for help in enduring many different things in ministry. and thank him for the Holy Spirit. And then third, John Webster is going to come and thank uh, God uh, to help us to build, who helps us build relationships with those uh, in our church. So, Craig.
1: Father, we thank you that you are the most high God, the maker of heaven and earth. You are the Lord of hosts. And we thank you, Father, that by your grace, we thank you that you have called us to be children of God, ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we confess to you that many times we don't feel that we're up to the task, And yet your word says that you are ready and willing to help us. And we thank you, Father. We thank you for your power that equips us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that fills us to help us to do the things that we cannot do on our own. So we pray, Father, with thanksgiving, that you would continue to help us to be men and women of integrity, godliness, holiness to be blameless that we would show forth the light of Christ to the world all around us we thank you we praise you for all these things and pray these things in Jesus name
2: our great God of mercy and love we Thank you Lord for giving us your Holy Spirit on that day of favor and the day of salvation and when you placed your spirit in us you made us your ministers to continue the work of Christ but you did not send us out unequipped Lord you've given us the power of the spirit to endure all things and as Paul told us in the word how he suffered many things but yet he knew the great God of the universe the creator and that helped him to endure. And Lord, that he was poor, but yet rich, and that he had nothing, but he had everything. But we have everything in you, Lord, and we have your grace, the power of the Spirit, to endure the ministry that you've given us to bring the word of Christ to the world. We thank you, Lord, for choosing us, for giving us this ministry. Help us to endure. Help us to earn your favor. In the favor of man, and it's in Jesus' name we pray.
1: Father, thank you for being a God who shares his wisdom with us, who shares his love, who provides our needs, allows us to be content. And yet be in awe of you at the same time. Um, Father, give us grace and compassion and humility to help build relationships with those in our church. Help us to strengthen one another, to look out for one another, um, to watch over one another. Give us wisdom and discretion. Provide us with the love we need as only you can give us. Ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we close in song Amazing Grace. We'll thank and praise our great God for the amazing grace that He's done.